0: Welcome to another edition of Children of Song. As most of our listeners know, Children of Song is the podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded by music. Some of our guests are the sons and daughters of music stars. Some of them began making music when they were so young that they can hardly remember a time when music wasn't in their lives. But all of them are children of song. I'm your host, Robert K. Orman, and I'm joined by my producer, Brad Newman. Hey, Brad. Hey, Robert. How are you? Welcome back, buddy. Thank you so much. So good to be
1: back in Nashville and bringing you this podcast. You know, Robert, today is exciting for me. I know. You're a fan. I am a big (laughs) fan, you know. I think it was you who, you know, you told me about this woman when we were talking about this podcast in its infancy. And I was like, okay, I've I've never heard of this woman. You know, and I and I checked her out, and she was like fabulous from the moment. I've seen her play in New York. She's got a big, big, powerful voice and lyrics
0: that'll make you cry, so it should be good. Angelina Presley is part of a whole group of young women in Nashville now who are really changing what it means to be a woman in country music today. And I'm proud of you for it. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Robert. I'm glad to be here.
0: You know, like another famous country music star, Loretta Lynn, you are a Coal Miner's daughter.
2: I sure am. It's like <laughs> it, uh, she, she said, one of the first times I ever met her, we were on the red carpet for the uh, Americana Awards, and she said, she just looked at me and she said, well, there wasn't nothing else to do in eastern Kentucky but dig coal, was they, honey? <laughs> and I said, no, ma'am, there wasn't.
0: <laughs> it, it's your uncle, Bobby, who was your big... Influence, wasn't he? Tell me me about Uh first picking up the guitar and learning from him.
2: Well, Uncle Bobby, um, sometimes I call him Crazy Uncle Bobby. (laughs) He was the baby of eight Mm. uh, on my mom's side. And he just always had a wild streak. I mean, he was like the true small-town outlaw. And that's the kind of music he loved and that he would play he um, he loved Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash, and he also loved, you know, like, Farron Young and Neil Young. And I just always was felt drawn to him and felt a connection with him. And, you know, I had like 115 cousins, and we'd all, you know, Mamaw's house was kind of the meeting place, and we all grew up within hundred feet of each other and we'd all wind up there on her porch and he would just always be there playing his guitar.
0: When did you pick one up?
2: Oh gosh I was probably 16 I think mm-hmm. maybe a little younger and I was in high school and um, just kind of I just always loved music right from the start. Um, I had a, re- had a record player I'm dating myself, but I had this... Hey, I've got three of them still. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. I had this little record player that would fold up into a suitcase, and you could take it with you. And I carried that thing around with me like it was my blankie. I had my record player in my little box of 45s. Oops, excuse me. And, you know, that was... I loved records before I loved Barbies. Um, <laughs> I just always... Felt drawn to music And um
0: What was behind learning to write songs that, that seems so From outer space for somebody in a small town Like that in the middle of nowhere Like I'm going to write songs what, Where did that come from
2: Well funny thing funny you should ask Um my dad picked around on the guitar A little bit too You know he has like five songs that he knows Like Mama I Tried Um Mm-mm. House of the Rising Sun uh, let's see um, I don't know There's like five that he knows Anyway, he we always had a guitar laying around And um, I wanted to learn how to play You know, I had grown up listening to my Uncle Bobby play My Uncle Bobby was an awesome guitar player and singer He sounded like if Waylon and Willie had a baby He <laughs> was just unbelievably good um, And I wanted to learn to play the guitar And this is before I'd ever even thought about writing a song. And my dad showed me some chords. And um, when you first start learning how to play guitar, it's just like so rough on your fingers. Mm -hmm. And my little, you know, teenage fingers were just like bloody nubs. And um, I couldn't make the chords fast enough Mm -hmm. to sing a song. So I thought, well... I can get from G to C. <laughs> so I'll just make up a song that I can sing with the chords that I know on the guitar.
0: So the limitations as a guitar player <laughs> led you to writing songs? Yes,
2: <laughs> that's exactly right. And you mentioned Loretta
0: as being an influence. You obviously listened to her records. Uh, and you, you did know she wrote the songs, right?
2: Oh, oh, definitely. Um I mean, I don't know how he could write such personal things, I mean, how he could sing such personal things. and But you know, Loretta Lynn is like a, I don't know, it's like a Greek god where I'm from. I mean, we all just love her. And
0: her, but your holler's not far from your hometown. It's
2: really it? close, yeah. yeah. When I was in high school, I used to skip school and go up there and play my guitar and write in my journal and... Um,
1: but it was also a way to get out, wasn't it? I mean, in, in a way, music for her was a way to, to, to kind of escape some of that poverty from where you, you grew up.
2: Yeah, it definitely had a big impact on me. I don't know that I would be here if not. Look, for the movie Coal Miner's Daughter, for instance, I can pretty much act it out for you here. <laughs> it may be a different podcast. Um, but just growing up, knowing that movie and... Knowing that she got out, but here she's still telling such personal stories about, you know, when she lived where I lived. Um, It really was like a, I don't know, a catalyst for me. Um, There's a song about
0: that that you wrote, kind of, that's Better Off Red. Is there? A little bit. Can you, that's kind of where we're going with this here. Okay.
2: Yeah, actually. Um... And that, I mean, that song is kind of about getting out, but then once you're out, you discover what you've left behind, Mm -hmm. and for me, that, you know, I'm proud redneck, um, and Better Off Red sort of came from that place of, well, now I'm out here in the world, but there real is there anything better than sitting on the porch with my mom, breaking green beans and getting ready to have supper? I ain't found it yet. <laughs> so you want me to play a little bit of that one? Yeah, yeah. Okay.
3: fall out of my head Cause a blade of bluegrass left a scar
0: That first album, that American middle class album, is just full of brilliant things like that.
2: Oh, thank you. I
0: mean, You know I'm a huge fan of that record. You and I have talked about this before.
2: I think it's rooted in there was just always a part of me that was always an observer. And I don't know if you call it a sixth sense or or what have you. There's something in the water in the hills of Kentucky, that's for sure, because so many great poignant artists from there. But I just always was able to kind of float above things and watch and re- and remember. And so for some reason, I just always knew that it was going to be my job to tell these stories and share this unique way of life because it really... Um, In that part of Kentucky, it really is just different than anywhere else in the world. It's not the south. It's not the north. It's like the, some people say the belly button. I like to say the heart. It's Appalachia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so I just always knew, but I was always an observer of things. And um, I'm raising a little boy who's the spinning image of me (laughs) on a lot of things. Um, But, yeah, when my first record came out, You know, when you make a record, it's on in the background constantly because you have to listen for every little thing, and there's so much, you know, technical stuff that nobody wants to hear about or know about. But anyway, he was just hearing this all the time. And um, he came home from school one day, and he was like, Mommy, I sang your song on the playground at school, and my friends loved it so much. And I was like, which song <laughs> and it was this one i'll play a little bit of it
3: knocked up shame shame mama gonna earn my family name here comes what granny's been a dreading Billy for a baby and a shotgun wedding Hand-me-down crib in a pickup truck That's what you get when you get knocked up
2: But, I mean...
0: Great for a kid to be singing on the playground.
2: <laughs> I know. I was like, well, sit down, honey. We have to talk.
1: But to your point about uh, really observing, what I really appreciate is you're, you're unapologetic about the life there. You know, I think in my community where I grew up in Ohio, which isn't that far away from Kentucky, mm-hmm. but it might as well be thousands of miles away, I think, yeah. culturally. I mean, we the idea... Cincinnati. You know. oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, well, well, yeah. You can <laughs> have it. Pittsburgh. <laughs> you can have it. The, the thing is, is... Um, but if you were... If, if you encountered that and someone got knocked up, I mean, it, it'd be the worst thing in the world. That'd be the yeah. end of someone's life, really, in that community. And I, I just love that you... It, it is what it is. This is life.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that did happen to me, and... Um, it kind of was. The, the first thought that came into my head was, I'm so ashamed. Like, I'm so ashamed of this. And like I said, I have 150 cousins, and I was the first one out of all of them to be pregnant out of wedlock, you know. And that's how I felt. And I thought it really was an awful way to feel for something that's so joyous and such a blessing and the juxtaposition of that in my head. It's like the only way I know how to sort of deal with it is to just talk about it and sing about it exactly how I feel. So I had that first um, part of that song and you know we co-write in Nashville. I'll bet I pitched that song to 15 different writers (laughs) who just kind of like Looked at me like, mm, I don't know, what else do you got? <laughs> um. Till finally, I, Mark D. Sanders, I, picked, I played a little bit of it for him. And he just kind of, he has this idea book with like thousands of ideas. And he just like closes his book. And he's like, yeah, that's the one we're going to work on today. That's Mark. I can see that in yeah. Mark doing that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, but, you're, you're very lucky in that you not only have your own solo records as an outlet for your songs, but also the Pistol Annie's. Uh, talk about how you got involved with those other two women and how Miranda discovered, Miranda Lambert discovered you. Is that right?
2: Mm-hmm. Or how did Well, go? I mean, so, sort of, you know, I had been, a, I, I moved here um, a few years. I don't know how many years it's been now. I've lost track. But um, I had been working in town as a songwriter, mm-hmm. I guess for maybe three or four years um when I met her. And um I actually met Ashley first. Mm -hmm. And Ashley Monroe mm -hmm, who's the third member. We kinda got hooked up on a writer's date. Our publishers were knew each other and they kinda put us together thinking that we might write a song and of course we just fell completely in love the, from the first minute we wrote a great song the first time we ever got together and that's kind of how co-writing is it's like it either
0: it's, either, it's a blind date it's, it's, yeah
2: mm-hmm. right where you have to show up naked and you've already agreed to sleep with the person That's <laughs> 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 how it feels to me because I write by myself a lot um, so it's a very sacred thing to me but Uh, Yeah, so I met Ashley, and we hit it off right from the bat, and then um, I had made a record back then, which it got put through the Nashville Ringer, and it never really came out, but Ashley had a copy of it, and she played it for Miranda. She knew Miranda because they were on Sony together. Right. and they were having this girls weekend in the airstream, kind of just writing some songs and they had written a few songs and they didn't really know, well, who are these songs for because like I wouldn't cut this and Ashley was like, I wouldn't cut this and then somehow they wound up listening to my record and the idea was born. They called me in the middle of the night. It was like, you know, one in the morning. I have a two year old. <laughs> and a drunk husband. (laughs) I was like, y'all are crazy. What are you? They're like, we're going to start a band. And I was like, no, we're not. What are you talking about? But by golly, two weeks after that, Miranda invited me to come over and hang out on her bus and had some cold beer waiting on me. And
0: and it turned out that the bad husband, the ex-husband, turned out to fuel <laughs> some of the Pistolani's songs. He <laughs> like, certainly uh, did. Like <laughs> Housewife's Prayer, and well, Drunk on your solo album. Yep. And Housewife's Prayer on the Pistol Annie's. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. the story behind
2: that? Um, well, you know, I was in the middle of getting, you know, he and I, we'd only known each other three months before. We got knocked up. And speaking of, because I think my kid will probably listen to this someday, he knows that me and his dad, we get along great now, and everything worked out exactly how it was supposed to. I have no regrets whatsoever. In fact, it was a blessing how it all played out um, because it did become fuel for (laughs) a lot of songs. Um, But we were in the middle of getting divorced, Uh, When I started, I started housewives' prayer. um, Our house was about to get four. Was about the bank was about to take our house. We got a home loan back in the day when, like, you could, you know, walk in with a forty ounce of beer and, you know, off the street and say, "Can I get a loan?" They'd be like, "Mm "Mm-hmm, sure, exactly." (laughs) Um, So, anyway, I thought. Which goes back to my roots. I thought, well, maybe I'll just burn this house down <laughs> because we had insurance on it, and I was seriously in a—I was in a dark place, and I was broke, and you know, things hadn't really worked out comp- all too well in my music career because um, you know people were just kind of taken aback by my honesty and I don't know the fact that I'll say pretty much anything. Um, so I was thinking about burning my house down and then I realized, well, everything nowadays has an automatic shut off. like <laughs> The iron <laughs> does, the coffee pot does. And so I thought, well, I will, instead of that, maybe I'll just pick up my guitar. So I picked my guitar up and I kind of came up with the first, um, verse to Housewives Prayer. I'll play it for you.
3: Well, I've been thinking about setting my house on fire. Can't see a way out of the mess I'm in, and the bills keep getting higher. match and a gallon of gas God I'm getting tired I'm gonna set this house on fire
2: and so that was an easy sell to Miranda Brandon, <laughs> obviously. Miranda obviously in fact I think she's the one that had the all I need is a match and a gallon of gas that was her line <laughs> yeah
0: That area of of Appalachia, both in Kentucky and in Tennessee, is a a huge opioid problem. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I it's everywhere. It's just so. I think Tennessee is the number two state in the union for opioid abuse, and Kentucky's probably not far behind. And you were way ahead of the curve on this. I mean, you had a song about pain pills before this was national news or even state news, it was like Mm -hmm. you saw it up close personal, right?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, The town where I'm from has just been ravaged by it. It's such a sad state of affairs. Um, And I have a song that's called Pain Pills, and um, I started it. That's the longest it ever took me to write a song because I started it when I had gone home to go to a funeral um, from a person I had known in high that I had gone to high school with. And at the funeral, you know, everybody was saying, well, you know, he had a heart condition, and you know, he had this and that. And I was like, no, he didn't. (laughs) Like, everybody knew what he was doing. Nobody was talking about it. Um, And then a few months later, another funeral front page of the paper, football star, you know, nothing about what really was going on. And I start, I kind of started the song on the way back from the first funeral. And then it took like about six more funerals before I got the song finished. Um, But they're, it's all, they're all loosely based on uh, people that I've knew and loved. And it's affected my family. I mean, I don't know I don't think there's anybody in beauty Kentucky who can't say that they have been personally affected by it at this point. Wow. Um, You're yeah.
1: Your own brother, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, which my mom doesn't really like me to talk about, but, you know, it's easier to sing about that stuff. Than is. Let's see, i have to tune down for this one.
3: dropped dead the paper said he was a football hero kids all cried and the rumors died and before he was in the ground Jimmy was up on the strip job sucking another one down when Vicky got out it took about a week to catch the fever went across town to Dr. Brown begging for some pain pills pain pills a little bit it's surely going to kill a lot of good people in these year heels. Lord, won't you save us from these old pain pills?
0: You're listening to Children of Song. I'm your host, Robert K. Orman, and producer Brad Newman and I are spending time today with the awfully gifted Angelina Presley. You kill me, honey. Opus oh, Shaw. <laughs> oh, shaw. So strong,
1: really strong.
0: You were talking a minute ago about co-writing, and that is a big thing in Nashville. It's like that's the whole deal. It's like a lot of people solo write, but really, it's kind of more fun to share mm-hmm. for a lot of people, anyway. And I'm so jealous. On the new record, uh, you co-wrote with a Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame member that I am a huge fan of, and that's Guy Clark, who I think he. Few writers, male, female, or whatever, have ever been as great. I mean, he's just one of my heroes as a writer.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: So
1: you're so. Song- Amen
2: to that, Robert. <laughs> he taught me so much. Did He, he really did.
1: I heard you had a, a, a really interesting initial meeting with him. Can you can you talk about that? Because you know, you said you walk into these things kind of naked and vulnerable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What was what was his reaction to you the first time you met him?
2: Well, it was one of the most poignant moments of my life in this life. He, um, I was so scared. I mean, I was so nervous. You know, it's Guy Clark. It's like, how did I even get here? And, um, I walked in and kind of sat down. And in his workshop where he would write songs, it's just the environment, I mean, there's, like, pictures of towns, and there's his guitars that he's building in the background, and he's sitting on this big wall of cassette tapes, and on the table, there's all his equipment, and he would write on this graph paper, and he would give you a piece, because he wanted you to write on the graph paper, I mean, just, he's just, his process was so cool, and, um, first thing he said he was like I'm gonna play you a song this is my wife Susanna Clark and he showed me this picture of Susanna he was like I wrote this song about her it's called my favorite picture of you and I was like okay pinch yourself and he just played the song and it was so beautiful and um then he was like now you play one. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, so I did, and I don't even remember what I played. I dug to the, I was like, what is like the one that, I don't even remember what it was. It's not on any record. But when I got finished, he was like, God dang, that was brave. Only he didn't say dang. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I've heard other Guy Clark stories, and he is not he that don't end so kindly. <laughs> no, he's he
0: was not one to mince words.
1: Oh, oh he no, could be, he could be tough then. Oh was, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. being naked, and he yeah. could really tell you that was terrible.
2: Yeah. Oh what, yeah. Yeah, Wade Bowen, who's a friend of mine, he's a Texas artist. He he tells a story. He played this song for Guy, and he was just like. Nope. What else you got?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, gr- he, he was very gruff. Oh, you mean you couldn't even get out a few bars?
1: Oh no.
2: no. I,
0: he was very gruff. I was always a little afraid of him myself. Yeah. I mean, I knew, I've known him. I knew him for thirty years, and I never got over it. it was yeah. Like, he was always a little intimidating. In- imposing too. He's a big guy. Big guy. Very big. You know?
2: He had a very commanding presence, and he had such confidence. He just—he was like.
0: He was a manly guy. If
2: Fonzie, you know, was raised in Texas and hung out with Towns Van Zant. he was just so cool. And um, so, what was it like writing together? Was it easy? Was well, it I mean, once you bro- kind of got in mm-hmm. and passed his, you know, test, I guess, I don't know, he was such a softy and he was like a big giant teddy bear and he was so caring. He was very slow and I had this little notebook and I would write quotes because everything that came out of his mouth was like a line to a poem but he said if you if you force if you if you force it they'll know it so and um he would always write with a pencil because he said that it made you write slower and the slower you go the more time you have in your mind to figure out how to beat what you've written and it was like he was never finished with a song he was just such a vicious editor I mean we've one song I think we worked on it for three months and I would go over there every Wednesday and we would sit there and he would talk and we would maybe get a line a word um (laughs) but I, oh, this is the way I he loved was. It. it
0: sounds like Tai Chi. He was a, cra- he was a, sh- a superb craftsman. Yes. That's what
2: he was. He wrote songs like how he built guitars. I mean, it, it was exactly. just very refined and at the same time, just wild. Because just some of the things that would come out of his mouth, it was just like, that's a whole other song, guy. Like, that's <laughs> a title. That's not a line.
0: So cheer up little darling is what comes on okay. that's on the new record. Yep. And it's the it's the Guy Clark Memories. It's is it the last
2: song he co-wrote? I mean He died I can't, he died
0: not long after this. He
2: did. And it it's definitely the last song Hold on. Okay, it's definitely the last song that he played for people. Mm-hmm. Um Toward the end there, he it got hard for him to play guitar, uh, so he started playing the mandola, like just decided to teach himself to play the mandola. And he had started this song on the mandola, and the day that we wrote it, it was like I had never seen him more... Just full of energy, and he wasn't using his cane, and he was just walking around, and he was smoking a little bit more than he <laughs> normally would. And it, I went home that day, and I told my husband, I was like, I felt like I was hanging out with like a heart worn highways guy today. Mm-hmm. He just, I don't know, was so alive. Um, and he had he he came up with the idea because his um lady friend at the time. She's kind of a worry wart. She's a wonderful human being, but um he just kinda wanted her to have something to uh go to whenever she was making mountains out of molehills. Mm-hmm. And um so yeah, and when he was in the hospital he would take his mandola and um he would have picking parties and people like, uh, you know, Rodney Crowell and um, Sam Bush and uh, Daryl Scott would come to his room and they would all trade songs. And Guy would always play Cheer Up Little Darling. Oh. Hmm. So, yeah. And at the at his memorial service, a few people came out to me and was like, Guy played that song for us. And we really loved it. So I don't know if it's the last one he ever wrote, but it's the last one he ever played to people.
3: Cheer up, little darling Don't be so sad There's a time and a place For the blues you have had Hold what you got, babe. Never give in. It feels like a tight spot, but it's just a loose end.
0: It's a guy (laughs) clerk.
2: And that, I mean, that last line, that was how he pitched it to me. He was like, I've got this line. I don't know. Feels like a tight spot, but it's just a loose end. Hmm. I was like, well, I guess I'll write that with you guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The title of the new new record is Wrangled. uh, And it's a. those of us who, who work in the country music business know how difficult it has been for women. It's always been difficult for women, but it's even more difficult, it seems like, lately. It's like, actually, now, men programs at radio say, I don't play women. I mean, yeah. they actually say stuff like that now. They do. and that's, Which is shocking to don't
2: me. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I made a whole record about you it. You
0: made a whole record. Wrangled yeah. it kind of addresses this. I mean, it's, a, and it's an important thing to say. Yeah. And it's important that people know this. Mm-hmm. I mean, this doesn't go on in pop music. Nobody says there's too many women in pop music. Carly B, Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift, on and on and on and on, Katy Perry. But suddenly, all of a sudden, we can't have that in country music, mm-hmm. and that's where we are. And yeah. it's a damn—it's a
2: travesty, Robert. You know, it's—it's it's affected so many of my friends and and and, and me and. it it continues to be an issue, and, um, I don't know, there's just, like, what do you do? And it's, what I could do was just start talking about it. I mean, country radio had, has become such a, I don't know, scary entity, where for so long, artists were so afraid to say anything negative about it, because, you know, everybody had this you know, delusion of grandeur that they were going to get played at some point. Um, But for me, I kind of just had this epiphany and was like, man, they're just not going to. It's getting worse and worse. I mean, I think last year there was one girl who had a number one song on country radio. One. One girl. And that's insane. It's wrong.
0: And it's so wrong.
2: It's wrong. And, and it's
0: it's predicated on the belief that women don't buy or listen to other women, which is so not true. I mean Who do they think bought Loretta Lynn? Who which, do they think bought Tammy Wyne? Right.
2: Or for me it was like Trisha Yearwood and Patty Loveless mm-hmm. and um Reba and Martina McBride. It's like you can't country radio is the grand stage. I mean it's popped into so many daddy's garages. Like my dad keeps a radio on in his garage all the time. That's like my yardstick.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he doesn't know what Spotify is. He Even if he did know, he wouldn't pay for it. <laughs> because why would you when you can get it for free on the radio, you know? So it's like this music's being popped in. And there's no women being popped in with it. And it's like, how can you make a Reba or a Loretta when that grand stage has been pulled out from under them? And it scares me to death to think that there are little girls and little boys growing up now who won't have a Reba or a Loretta or a Patty Loveless. It just won't happen. Um
1: were you worried there was be backlash from the album though? I mean not that you I mean obviously it's it's already a persistent problem that women are not there but by shedding such a highlight on it were you worried that maybe that would sort of blacklist you in one way?
2: I mean I kind of just knew that it would. <laughs> I got, I got to this place where um I just became okay with it because thank goodness there are so many other avenues now like podcasts like this one. Um, Americana Radio, Americana Music Association. You know, there's there's other ways to get your music out there now. And I just decided to throw myself to the wolves because the wolves were already eating me up anyway. So um, I knew it would, and frankly, I just didn't care. And this record was sort of like, I felt like I couldn't move on as an artist or a songwriter until I kind of just shed this skin and told everybody about it. Sing Wrangled. Okay. Of course, if you listen to the record, it's like you really have to listen for like the, meta, like, I kind of did it sneaky. Because at the end of the day, what my goal is to make good music and to make records that tell a story and paint a picture. And I kind of just snuck some metaphors and different things. So, yeah, this is my breakup song with country radio is what I always say. (laughs)
3: Tommy tracked his dirty feet cross my clean kitchen floor. I'd be like those girls in the magazines, wouldn't be under his thumb no more. Bible says. out here in the middle of one of the
0: Such a cool song. Thank such you. Such a great cool yeah. record. Such a cool record. I thank mean,
2: you very I never much.
0: thought you'd be able to top American Middle Class, but Wrangled <laughs> is just as good. Oh,
2: thank you very much. <laughs> I'm so uh, tickled
0: that you've gotten to know Wanda Jackson. Mm-hmm. Just in case you folks out there listening think she only sings ballads, she knows a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and oh, has co-written sure. with her.
2: <laughs> yeah. Man, Wanda is such a rock star. I can't even... Describe
0: it. What's interesting
1: is we say this too. You have all these 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 great mentors like mm-hmm. Guy Clark and Wanda Jackson in a way that's made you also a child of song, even though you know you're mm-hmm. no longer a kid. Do you feel like a kid when you're with them?
2: Um, you know, sometimes I feel like a like a fan, definitely, um, and maybe a kid at first. But then once I got to know Guy, I felt like our souls were exact like right on the same page and same thing with Wanda it's like you have so much um, you're so intimidated um, because you just are in the presence of such greatness but then within 10 or 15 minutes you realize why they are who they are and why they're so great, because they're just, I mean, Wanda's just this girl from Oklahoma who sings songs, and her mother made her clothes for her, and, you know, just, she's like me. I mean, I'm just this girl from Kentucky who's mom did what she, it's we're just the same. So, um, yeah, they are teachers, but at the same time, I think, um, One of the biggest things I learned was that they have been able to stay open to meeting young artists because they realize that they can learn from us, too, you know?
0: Um, I think Wanda more than a lot, actually, too. mm -hmm. She is so sweet. She is. She's a tender little soul. She's a rocking lady
2: with that nasty
0: (laughs) voice, but she is a sweet as they come.
2: She is, and she's so little, like you could put her in your shirt pocket and just like take her around with you. I really would love to do that. But,
0: um, I can't get a good girl down. Whose idea was that, yours or hers?
2: Well, um, both of us, I would say that we, that was a mutual idea. She, the day that we wrote that song, um, she was a little bit late to the co write and she came in and she was like, You'll have to excuse me because I took a little tumble on the jetway and, I just, you know, I just wasn't. And I looked a little closer. She had like a shiner. <laughs> of course, she her makeup was flawless. Like, you couldn't even see it until she pointed it out. And she had showed me bruises on her legs. And I was like, Wanda, why have you come here today? Like, we could have done this another day. And she just had this just grin on her face. And she looked at me and she's like, <laughs> you can't get a good girl down. Uh and I was like and let me get my guitar (laughs) and just started playing this riff this groove and she liked it and off we went
3: when you kissed me the other night it was my first taste of wine when I woke The next morning you were still on my mind There's a bittersweet flavor on my tongue You haven't called me, so honey, I'm done I'm gonna hang around and wait For you to break my heart Can't get a good girl down Can't get a good girl down Got no secrets and she got no lies. She'll burn you out with the truth in her eyes. She's standing on solid ground. You can't get a good girl down. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that could be your theme song, honey. It really could.
2: Yeah. It is sort she, of, one of. Wanda the is stuff. one of
0: the great survivors, and she really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I hope the same for all of us. I mean, well, are
2: all mean, still
0: rocking when we're Wanda's age.
2: What was striking to me is some of the stories she was telling about coming up in the music business as a woman, in particular, just aren't really a lot different than mm-hmm. my experiences, and um, it just get put. Made, flan, fan that flame that was already lit under me to put out this last record.
1: But, but it is your moment, really, because, you know, with the Me Too movement and feminism, my, my daughter is all in the huge feminism movement. I've seen you in concert with Randy Clark. I mean, there is a ton of women that come out to those concerts. If you haven't been to one, mm-hmm. you know, good yep. place to meet a girl. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, you really do empower women, and there's something to really yeah. hold on to that.
2: I hope so. Um I just that's that's the goal. Well not the goal, but the the hope. The hope is a good thing. Yeah.
0: I do have one last request. As okay. As, as I mentioned to you before, Brad is a huge fan and his mm-hmm. favorite song of yours that he wants to hear is dreams don't come true. Okay. So you got to do that one for us.
2: Okay. <laughs> just a little bit of it or do you want yeah. me to all right. Yeah, so This is really like when you grow up and at least where I grew up, most of the music business you see is in the movies, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, I have to wake up every day and convince myself that it's still not going to be some guy in this golden suit in this shiny car who's going to roll in and be like, here's your deal, honey. Let me get you the keys to your Cadillac. and Here's your mansion. And
0: it's ain't going to happen.
2: That ain't how it works, people. But it just takes so long to figure that out, and I still don't have it figured out. To just enjoy the ride is, to me... What I'm still why, trying to do.
0: Well, I always tell people the reason I got in the business was like so I could wear jeans when I'm 40.
2: Like yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, my manager, she was a, she worked for Goldman Sachs, you know, and um, she just up and quit one day and was like, you know what? I want a job where I can wear my cowboy boots to work. <laughs> and here she is, managing me. All right, here we go. Disillusionment, take one. <laughs> I thought
3: there'd be a man in a suit and a ten-gallon hat you would give me a deal and a red Cadillac And I'd make hit records and get hooked on drugs I wound up pregnant strung out on love Dreams don't come true They'll make a mess out of you They'll hang around the darkest corners of your mind They'll be your heart black and blue Don't let anyone tell you they do
2: Dreams don't come true But let me do the second verse Because it's kind of (laughs) funny I thought I'd change the world With three
3: chords and the truth I'd be like Elvis but with lipstick and boobs <laughs> My bra would be floating In a guitar-shaped pool And I'd flip the bird to them Whores in high school
2: <laughs> <laughs> That was funny. You know, at my record release party for this for this album, um, I did a, my release show in Kentucky in Lexington and I actually got to flip the bird. <laughs> <laughs> so all the girls I went to high school with, who showed up to see me play.
0: Take that. <laughs> what are you guys doing now? Huh?
2: <laughs> oh no, not like not in that way, but it was just funny because they're all my friends in okay. reality, but
0: well, thank you so much. Thank you. I remain a massive fan. You're never, I'm never going away. I'll always be there. Whatever you're doing, I'm there.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I mean it. And I'm of you too. I really enjoy this podcast. I'm a podcast fanatic. And um, I think y'all are doing something really cool here. And I'm really happy to be a part of it.
0: We're happy to have you.
2: Okay.
1: Before we let you go, we want to welcome you to the B side. Here's a chance for us to have a little fun and tell one last story. As we were saying goodbye to Angelina, she told us why her time with Miranda Lambert and Ashley Monroe is so special, and some news about a new Pistol Annies album coming out later this year.
0: The Pistol Annies Initially I thought it was going to be a one-off deal. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize this was going to be like a ongoing deal. And now you're working on your next record and tell yeah. us where you're at with that. I mean, are you still as tight with each other as you were at the beginning or what's, you know,
2: probably even more now because we've been through so much together. I mean, between the three of us, we have like two ex-husbands, two husbands. And <laughs> I mean, I, we've just kind of grown up together in the past few years. And um, I don't know, like, Honestly, I thought it was gonna be a one off too, Robert. I if you'd asked me back in the day, I'd have been like, you know, whatever happens, happens because it was always so real. I mean, we kind of snuck and made the record. Like we, we did we weren't signed on a label. Um, everything that we did was completely unorthodox. It was for the right reasons. In this it business. was for the music. Yeah,
0: and it was that you know
2: it was, and it like when the three of us get together, I just we were at Miranda's farm writing the other day, and I was like, I hate you girls so much because like, I don't want to write with anyone else. <laughs> like it's so I think we wrote eight songs in two days.
3: Wow,
2: it's like you couldn't create it in a lab, you know, it's Mm -hmm. such, it's otherworldly, the chemistry that we have, and it just won't die. I mean, I would knock on wood, but it's like at this point, I don't know if I need to or not, because we just write together so easily. They're just like an extension of me, and I'm an extension of them, and um, it's such a blessing in my life. So, yeah, I mean, we we didn't really have plans to make a new record, but the music presents itself. And then it's like, okay, now we have all these songs that we didn't really mean to write. We never sit down and like, well, let's get our guitars and have a writing appointment. You know, it's like, let's open a bottle of wine and, you know, gripe about our husbands. And then the next thing you know, there's a song.
1: Right. Can you play anything new that, that maybe... Is it out there yet? A little well, bit of taste? I
2: don't know if I'm allowed to do that or not. I can tell you that um, there's a lot of sass. Uh, it's a little bit more grown up than the last two. It's like you can tell that um, we um, have been through some more stuff. Uh, a couple of the songs are freaking hilarious that I think people are just going to belly laugh. Good. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I would have to check with the other girls. And since they're not here, I don't. The
0: best record, <laughs> the best record release party ever. We go to the Pistol Annie's uh-huh. and it's held at the record pressing plant.
2: Oh yeah. And that we go upstairs so to the Barry
0: Gordy suite where Barry Gordy used to stay when he pressed his Motown records here. Mm-hmm. We have the little party and they sing some songs and everything else. And when you left the party, you got the pressed record in gold. Nice. It was mm-hmm. pressed in gold vinyl. And it was the coolest party ever.
2: And that's just how we roll, so.
1: (laughs) Next up, Allie Colleen sits down with Robert and I for a fascinating look at what it was like to grow up with her superstar daddy, the one and only Garth Brooks. Most people don't know she made a vow to her dad to stay away from signing a record contract till she graduated from college. Well, with a diploma in hand from Belmont and a bunch of original songs, this young singer-songwriter is poised to make her mark. It's a music-filled episode you're only going to hear on the next Children of Song, the podcast everyone's talking about. Till next time, I'm Brad Newman. Thanks for listening.